Miracle Moon podcast. If you are a NICU parent, past, present or future, this podcast is here to support you through it all. We'll talk about common things that NICU parents have been through with the hope of normalising how you're feeling. We're a couple of past NICU mums who've got together to support other parents through their NICU journeys. Each week we'll be talking about topics all parents go through because we've been through it too and we don't want you to feel alone in it. Maka was born at 34 weeks. Um, she went into labour and had a placental abruption. She was 300 miles away from home in hospital um, and she's here today to talk to her, us a little bit about her experience. So hello, welcome. Hi. Yeah, I had quite a, a bumpy ride. So we, yeah. I don't know, um, I was staying with my sister mm-hmm. um, in Fort William and then I think like I've always been absolutely petrified like the minute I got pregnant I was petrified that something was going to go wrong yeah. um, so I didn't tell anyone so I think we were maybe I think I was 17 weeks before I even told anyone that like even my mum like I didn't tell anyone wow. and then we didn't I, like didn't buy any cot or pram or anything I was just petrified that something was gonna go wrong but it didn't and we got quite far and then like I went up to visit my sister so we went to Fort William I, and then we'd gone like a really nice big long walk and then I'd started cooking dinner for everyone and I had really sore back the day before but I just thought like that's normal times of pregnancy mm-hmm. um, and then when so I started cooking dinner and then the next morning, I think I woke up about like six o'clock and still had like my really sore back. But I also had a really sore tummy. Mm-hmm. I started thinking that I just poisoned everybody because I cooked them dinner the night before. <laughs> and I was wondering like if everybody else was feeling this really sore pain in their tummy. So I like lay for a little while. Um, and then I think I finally just went through to the loo. And then just like I was on autopilot, it was totally like not really registering what was happening. Mm. Um, and then the minute I looked down, I just saw loads and loads of blood. And I was just like, oh, oh my goodness, goodness. Like, what is going on? Um, and I totally froze because I didn't have my car with me. Um, I was with my sister, like my other sister, there's many of us. Um, mm. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Uh, so I really quietly had gone through to my sister's room and I'd knocked. Um, basically, I was like trying to be so, so calm at the time, but my mind was totally racing. Mm. I'd knocked the door, I'd gone in to see my sister Lauren, um, and I was like, are you up? Are you up? Are you awake? Um, and she was like, yes, what's wrong? And I was like, I think you're going to need to take me to hospital. And at this point, I wasn't crying or like emotional in any way. I was just like, I think you need to take me to hospital. Um, and she was like, oh my God, have you gone into labour? And I was like, I don't know, but I think something's quite serious. But the hospital in Fort Williams just a midwife-led unit. Okay. So she'd given me the phone number for the unit there. I'd phoned ahead um, on the phone and they were just asking me to describe like what was happening. And I was like, oh, I've got a really sore back. Like, I've got a really sore tummy um, and there's quite a lot of blood. Um, yeah. It might come straight in. But by the time I'd got there, they'd already phoned 
an ambulance to take me up the road because there's nothing they can do. They don't even have an ultrasound machine or anything there. Oh, wow. So all they could do was put the Doppler on me um, and get a trace and just make sure that everything was kind of ticking over. Mm. They kept trying to ask me how much blood I'd lost though. Um, they kept trying to just like tried to get me to describe it. Yeah. So like, um, was it like you're like a fingertip size, it's hand size, and I was like, well, I don't how know. do you know? I don't know. know. It's not like in one place. Sat there cupping it. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. Um, and I wasn't like thinking. And I think the midwife at the time was listening to what I was saying, but they kept saying, "Oh, it's just your mucus plug, or it's mm. a bloody show." And I was just like. I genuinely don't think it, like I don't think it is I think it's something more serious than that mm. but she kept telling me and I think it was just a reassuring thing she was just trying to keep me calm yeah. um, but at the same time I was like totally frantic Ian wasn't there either so and I didn't have my notes which don't ever travel anywhere without your notes <laughs> um, my sister had to phone Ian and try and get the notes from Ian but also try and not panic Ian at the same time mm-hmm. um, so she did manage to get the notes because the midwife kept asking like where's my placenta and I was like I don't know like what blood type are you I was like I don't know like I really wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't in the know about anything really no. all I did was that I didn't have any problems like I wasn't a complicated pregnancy I was anemic and that was basically it like that was the only complication that I'd had so far um, so Lauren had got on the phone to Ian and basically said that he should probably get <laughs> get in the car and up the road um, and that we were heading to Inverness so then he phoned my mum no my sister must have phoned my mum my mum then phoned Ian and Ian was told to pack an overnight bag and oh, I didn't wow. have an overnight bag so <laughs> Ian's like Ian's overnight bag consisted of one pair of boxers <laughs> And some hand sanitizing sanitizing gel, Um, a little like puff for like washing yourself in the bath. (laughs) No clothes for me, absolutely nothing for me. Um, And my mum's overnight bag that she packed had six pairs of shoes in it. No no clothes. (laughs) Maybe they were panicking. (laughs) No, I think they were quite panicked. So Lauren was on the phone to him um, and kind of got him uh, like, told him really can't my my sister's known as Major McLeod she's really organized <laughs> and really matter of fact and kind of kept calm and said to him on the phone like you need to come up I need to know Kirsten's blood type so he sent screenshots of all my notes to the midwife so the midwife was going through them and apparently none of the information that they needed was on the notes um but they then sent me in an ambulance blue lighted up to Inverness up the bumpiest road that I've ever gone on in my life. I get really bad mm. car sickness as well. So I wasn't sure if I was being sick from like being pregnant and potentially being in labour or if it was the car sickness. Um, and then in the back of the ambulance, I just remember um, I kept having my tightening so my back was really sore. And the midwife kept asking like, um, how is it? Like how, t- how close together are they? How are you feeling? And then the driver turned around at one point and it's classic symptoms. And I was like, classic symptoms of what? He's like, you're in labour. <laughs> you're going to have your baby. And I was like, no, I don't. I, no, I'm not. I and I was still totally in denial at this point. Like, I didn't think that this was happening. And mm. on the phone, Lauren and my sister had said to Ian to bring the car seat up. We're not going to need the car seat. Like, that, like we're not going to need it. Um, so she had to drive. She wasn't allowed in the ambulance with me. So she had to drive up 
um, behind and I just felt like thought it was really ridiculous that I was in an ambulance being blue lighted I was like I, I like I totally understand there's something wrong I was inconsolable I was so upset but at the same time I was in complete denial yeah there was something else going on um so I'd arrived in Renes and they'd rushed me into like a receiving ward um but it must be in the midwife I don't everything's just a wee bit of a blur but not a blur mm. like I feel like I totally remember it but I couldn't take you to where this place is it's like a little dream um, mm. so it was a receiving ward and when they took me in I think there was a miscommunication in what had happened so the midwife basically kept reiterating that it was a bloody show and it was a mucus plug and there wasn't that much blood loss and I was like I was like I definitely what like I literally lost loads and loads of blood so they gave me my steroids and magnesium um and then my sister came in and when they'd given me the injections they'd <laughs> missed parts and there was like loads of blood coming down my arms as well so oh, she no. panicked because there was blood gushing out the back of my arm there was blood coming out other places so she was a wee bit worried about that um, and then it, later they said so my sister then said later that they'd said to her that they were just going to leave me for four hours and then discharge me and I was just like like what was going through their heads like yeah. no checked on me um and I think my big sister is like very kind of upfront, and she kept like going up to the nurse and be like no this isn't good enough like you need to come, come and check on her basically um so a couple hours had passed and then they, they admitted me to the ward like an actual ward it's not a receiving ward um and I was left in a room filled with babies and their new mums and families visiting and I was just left lying on this bed and I was still losing quite a lot of blood at the time yeah I think like my sister was sat there like what was going on so she'd pulled the curtain round and one of the midwives had ran into the room and pulled the curtain away and said during visiting hours you're not allowed this curtain I think like my sister's like no for dignity like this curtain will be drawn um so then at this point Ian and my mum hadn't arrived yet (laughs) so I was still I was just lying on this bed like nobody coming to check on me my big sister just panicking um, because I was kind of in and out of like any kind of sensibleness yeah Um, and then I remember my mum and Ian arrived and then I think I moved from the bed and there was quite a lot of blood Mm. and then I think Ian went to get I think it must have been the doctor at this point and mm. um, so then the doctor came and at this point nobody had checked me like no nobody had checked wow. me back like how things were progressing or anything and nobody had done an ultrasound all I had on me was the Doppler mm. um, and that's where I think there was a miscommunication because when I looked through my notes I took pictures of my notes because I <laughs> I just like to know things um, and yeah. my notes it says that I had an ultrasound and I'm just like I didn't have an ultra, I know I didn't have an ultrasound like this isn't the case mm-hmm. um, I think when I'd moved from downstairs to upstairs they thought that I'd had the ultrasound downstairs and had then said on the notes upstairs I had um, and I wonder if I don't know I always wonder yeah I thought that at Fort William they'd done a check on me I don't know but they took me into an exam room and then they discovered that I was six centimeters at this point 
So wow. then they rushed me to the labour ward, or I don't know, the delivery seat is mm-hmm. that what it's called? I'm not sure. Um, so take me into the delivery seat. Um, and this must have been about six o'clock. And it was about dinner time, I think. Um, and Ian still didn't know, like, what was happening. And they kept talking about accommodation and things. So they were kept trying to get Ian into, like, the staff quarters accommodation so that he had somewhere to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were all panicked about that and I was panicked. I was like, no, no, I'm in, I'm in labour. Um, <laughs> so then my mum had sat with me for a wee while and then Ian had sat with me and they kept giving me, they gave me something because it was something to slow down the labour. Um, okay. It didn't work. But then it also turns out that whatever it was that they'd given me also was a pain reliever. Okay. Um, I don't know what that is. They said, like, I couldn't have too much of it because it makes the baby sleepy Um, and I'd gone like I hadn't take like they asked if I wanted the epidural but I was always in the mindset that I wanted to do hypnobirthing so I was devastated because I was meant to start the hypnobirthing like that week and I was also meant to start all my antenatal classes and I just remember I kept saying to midwife like I've, I've not been trained for this like nobody's taught me what to do and she was like don't worry it just comes naturally and I was like I don't I don't feel like it's gonna come naturally like I was really stressed yeah um, and then they kept saying OP the baby's OP I was like what does OP mean like what what is this term so OP is back to back um okay. so I think like that also is an added complication and I'm still not entirely sure why I wasn't taken for a c-section mm. I did have a reflections but it was just not something that crossed my mind before and now I think back I'm like surely I sh- should maybe have had to see I'm not sure I just feel like my labour wasn't a very good labour um, mm. so what basically his heart rate had started to dip was it dip but everybody, he was starved of oxygen basically mm. um, and then I was losing more blood kept losing more blood but they kept saying it was a bloody show and I just kept saying to them it's not a bloody show and I remember at one point I said it's an abruption and they said nope nope it's not and I was like it's an abruption like it's an abruption I know it's an abruption and um, you know that because of your mum because my mum had had one so I yeah. think I just kept saying well that's what it is like that's what that's what it is um and I kept I think I kept asking them was my baby gonna die mm-hmm. and they were like uh, no 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 that's not gonna happen um, and they were really reassuring like the midwives I had were amazing like so so nice I could not pull them out of a lineup so I have no idea what they look like but yeah. I just remember them being so so lovely and then I remember it was maybe about like one in the morning and there was a change of shift so like more midwives came in um, and at one point there was like, was there like 15 people in the room and I think I turned around to the midwife and I said look like I don't think all these people need to be here um like is there not somebody more needy in the ward that needs like your help right now and they're like that there is absolutely nobody in this like unit more needy right at this very minute Kristen like you just wow. go yourself. and I was like oh right, okay and then the neonatal team had to come in and they kind of introduced themselves to us as well and I, I was just like I don't know what you're for like what is the neonatal like what is this like who are you yeah. um so um, his doctor had kind of talked us through what was like gonna happen basically when he was born um when I was kind of I don't even know as active labor um so when I was in active labor 
I think like my heart rate had started to dip as well. I'd started to lose quite a lot of blood. I was getting really tired at this point. I'd not taken the epidural because somebody told me a horror story once about an epidural and I didn't want to have an epidural. So I was really focused on not having it. And I think I just used the gas and air, but then they had to do an episiotomy. So then I ended up with a third degree tear um, <laughs> after that. So he was then born, but didn't take his first breath for a wee minute. And I just remember him not crying. And mm. I was really stressed about that whole situation. And they kept trying to tell me like that they were needing to take me to surgery. And I was just like, no, like my baby's not crying. Like what is happening right now? Mm. So eventually, I think he did cry, but he just got taken away straight away. And then Ian was just kind of left, like, what am I supposed to do now? Uh, so then Ian went to the neonatal with Macker. Mm-hmm. Like, that's his name now. He didn't have a name, but that's his name. Um, and he got to kind of watch him after they'd um, done all, like, inserting his cannula and giving him the antibiotics and things. Um, and then I got taken to surgery. And I just remember looking at the board in surgery and the blood units just mounting up and mounting up and mounting up and I just like like I feel like I've got no blood left in me um, like and there was a nurse standing on the far wall there was a male nurse as well and I kept looking at him and he just kept avoiding my eyes and I was like no I just want you to look at me um and then there was another nurse at the other side of the theatre and she kind of came over and kind of held my hand I just like asked me about him and I was like his name is Macker I wasn't even sure if we'd actually Ian and I had agreed on this name but I was like his name is Macker and that is his name um so that was really I just remember that moment that was quite a profound moment she came and she like so I feel like that's when he actually got his name was when she asked his name because that's the mm-hmm. first time anybody had actually asked what he was called Aww. um so yeah and then I'd ended up blacking out in the theatre even although it was not the kind of anaesthetic you get you back out from um so they then wheeled me back through um and i was in hdu for the next couple days two days maybe Mm -hmm. but i couldn't walk so because i'd had the episiotomy i ended up getting a spinal anyway which Mm -hmm. meant that i couldn't walk um which was so annoying because otherwise i would have just got an epidural and then it was in state um, so I couldn't walk and I was really quite out of it um, yeah. so I woke up and the doctor was at the end of my bed and um, he like I, I genuinely was wondering why are you there like I thought I thought he was going to tell me that that was it mm. um, but he'd said that Macken had had a really difficult night he'd struggled to regulate his temperature and because he was struggling to regulate his temperature he was struggling to breathe so he ended up with a wee bit of support for his breathing um, and he was put in the hot cots. Um, but we ended up, it was just feeding, weight gain, and um, antibiotics for sepsis. So, but it wasn't sepsis, it was just a precaution of the sepsis. Um, okay. I think really, like Macker's neonatal journey was actually quite a smooth one. Um, but I feel that it really was one step forward, like a million steps back sometimes. Yeah. Because we jumped from the unit in Inverness down to Glasgow they like Glasgow I think were more like forward thinking they wanted us home whereas Inverness were very very cautious 
Um, and I think they were to a point where it was maybe a bit overly cautious sometimes and I just felt like surely you can get home because they said yeah. about your due date when you could get home um, which I was just kind of like oh that's so far away like it's six weeks but mm. the grand scheme of things six weeks really wasn't that much but it was mm. in my mind I was like well, literally oh, six weeks and I was are we having to stay in Inverness for these six weeks what are we going to do do we have to get a house like mm. all these thoughts were going through my mind I was like oh my goodness um, so yeah so we woke up and the doctor was at the end of my bed um, and at this point I hadn't spoken to Ian I hadn't spoken to anyone because Ian wasn't allowed in because it was after visiting so after they'd wheeled me through from the surgery I was just left in HDU just wondering what was going on that's um, not allowed visitors in recovery it was awful um, so and Ian was able to come in at eight o'clock in the morning no he wasn't he wasn't allowed in until 10 o'clock so I couldn't move and I couldn't move until two o'clock um, so I got help to get a shower and things so I was ready to then go through with Ian and I just remember getting wheeled through to neonatal and um, Ian wheeled me to the door and I was like I have to ask Ian which which one's my baby like which one of these four babies so we were just in a a nursery, I think that's what you'd call it. So he wasn't in his individual room, he was in a wee nursery of four. Um, mm. And Ian had to point out which one was actually mine. I just kind of totally felt like I should know. Like I just, I just thought there'd be like a beacon, a wee little light <laughs> coming up from saying, This is your baby. Mm. But it wasn't. And I, like at that point, I was like, like Where's my feeling? I don't really feel like I'm mum yet. Like, yeah. it just didn't, yeah. I don't know, it just didn't come really. Uh, so yeah. And I think because Ian had already been in to see him, Ian had been told all about how the neonatal unit worked, mm-hmm. but they didn't tell me any of this. So I like didn't have a clue about cares. I didn't know about kangaroo care or skin to skin or anything. All one of the nurses said to me was, don't touch him. Like he does his growing when he's sleeping. You yeah. can't hold him. And I was like, what? Like, I don't understand. And then I looked around and all these other mums were doing like kangaroo care. I was like, can I like to do that? Like, mm. how do you know? Um, so then, and I felt as well, like Ian was so good. So Ian was like, in a couple of days, Ian was like changing nappies and things. I was like, how do you know how to do that? Like, <laughs> who taught you? Who <laughs> taught you these skills? Where did this skill come from? Um, <laughs> I like he was doing like all the tube feeds and things I was just like I feel completely useless like I don't know how to do this yeah. um, I don't know um I think a nurse just taught him one day when he was there by himself and I wasn't mm-hmm. uh, so it turned out as well so I'd gone through to visit him and I'd collapsed when I'd gone through and I had to get taken back to the ward and there weren't that many midwives on the ward when I was there so nobody had actually checked my blood pressure or anything so it took a day and a half for them to pick up on the fact that my blood pressure dropped quite significantly I don't know what the numbers are but like they were really shocked and basically rushed a blood trans like blood transfusions for me um but I then had to end up waiting for the blood transfusion because there ended up being an emergency and because it's a really small hospital up north, they can't allow blood to go until they know they've got enough for the emergencies coming in. 
so I wasn't allowed to move. I couldn't go through to neonatals. It took like two days before I was actually then able to go through and see him again. And I just so like, hard. the midwives kept coming to me at night, and I read my notes all the time. And mm. I basically said, "Well, Kirsten's a little teary tonight. She's really overwhelmed." But like, how else are you supposed to feel? Like, <laughs> stuck in <laughs> like, bed for two days uh-huh. on my own, unable to see my baby. Yeah. What am I meant to be smiling? It was also really awkward because I was on a ward. So after I'd moved from HDU, I just got put into a ward with all these girls and their new babies. And there was a girl opposite me who had had her baby at 35 weeks. Mm-hmm. Her baby was next to her. And I was like, why is your baby there? Like, can I have mine? Um, I think I even asked the midwife at some at one point, like, could my baby come through? And she was like, no, too small. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> please. Um, yeah. I just, I don't, I don't agree with, if you're in for, like, something bad happening, you shouldn't be put on a ward with. No. babies and ladies with babies um, no, and if you're recovering and your baby's in neonatals again I don't think you should be put in a ward with ladies and their babies because they all kept no. asking me like oh like what are you in for and I didn't really have a bump um so after I'd had him my bump had totally gone wow. um, and I just remember quite a few of them had like asked me like what I've sent for so I was like I'm a baby. <laughs> <laughs> my mum, like overnight, they gave my mum, and he's not here. He's through. Yeah. But I also think quite a lot of them were like quite awkward, and they didn't know, or they didn't want to ask me because they didn't know the circumstances. So I was just mm. like, yeah, he is there. Um, but eventually, once they did know, like some of them would kind of ask, like how how he was getting on and things. But it's just a really awkward situation, like situation to be in, mm. um, as well. I think so we were there for four days five days our journey like our NICU journey was really like short we weren't near that long mm. um, but it felt like a long time yeah it was because it was two units as well I just feel like they were totally different and mm. I didn't really get to know anybody because we were just jumping around so we had to wait for the transfer team so Scott's are do the transfer but because he wasn't in emergency we were just it was just a luck of the draw so it could have been a week it could have been two weeks um, and we just had to wait so eventually a team did say that they could take him and they took us all the way down to Glasgow and put us into the unit at Glasgow um, and then that's when we got home but Glasgow as soon as we got to Glasgow they were like we're not laughing like we're not doing two early feeds like for a three-hourly feed, and if he tolerates his three-hourly feeds, like, you'll get to go home. So mm-hmm. I was, like, really excited about that, I think, but also terrified. So I was, like, yes. I don't know if I'm going to be able to have this tiny baby at home, but, okay, I'm not really ready. I don't have a cot. I don't have anything set up. Um, but there were three-hourly feeds. He tolerated his bottle, so I think he got really tired quite quickly, and they did mm-hmm. have to do top-ups, but as soon as they finished with his top-ups, they got his car seat challenge done and I, I was like what is this car seat challenge I kept thinking it was going to be some kind of like race that you have to do with his car seat <laughs> nobody had explained it to me um, and they did it overnight and I came in the next day and like we passed his car seat challenge I was like what did you have to do like mm. what was that race like what did, where did he go like no he just sat in it and he just slept and we just had to check his cracks and make sure he didn't drop and I was like oh so we're good we're good we're good to go <laughs> Um, but then they told us that we were getting home one day 
and then they told us that we weren't I don't understand like you told us that we we're going home and yet like I'm mentally prepared for this um and then they're like oh no you're not going home um and they were like I don't know when you'll get home again so by this point Ian has to start back work um so then Gosh. I remember the next day Ian had gone into work and they'd asked me to room in and I was like all oh, right okay I'll room in but then Ian couldn't room in because he was then starting work at five o'clock the next morning. Mm. And I said, if we room in, are we getting to go home? And nobody would actually give you a definitive answer because I think they're all really wary of getting your hopes up and especially yeah. if you've already got my hopes up. And I like, totally just dashed them. Um, so I did get to room in. And all I remember is Ian Sterling's voice from Love Island <laughs> was like the, like, basically... The theme tune to my entire neonatal stay. So every time I hear his voice, I'm totally transported back to my little tiny cubbyhole room that I was rooming in with him, like just sat on my own catching up on all the episodes that I'd missed because they had a TV. I was like, oh, I have to TV because I'd been like the whole week without it. Mine was the circle. Oh, really? Oh, I loved the circle. I really loved it. Like, Tim was my favourite. <laughs> it's brilliant. Have you watched yeah. it, Georgie? You need to yeah. watch it. You watch no, it. I've watched it, yeah. <laughs> I really liked the sausage party. That was yeah. so good. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny what you remember, though. So, yeah. like, it's just, and any time I see Love Island or hear the Love Island tune, it, like, takes me back, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. But mm. I do really like Love Island. Yeah, but that's also a shame. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's totally <laughs> <laughs> and it's devastating because I really like mine coming TV. But um, I still put up with it, but I just cringe a little when I hear his voice sometimes. Mm. The most annoying thing for us was there was a TV on the wall in the room, but it didn't work. Oh no! So we, and there was no like signal there or anything, phone signal. So we used to just yeah, like, sit oh, there. No. I mean, because obviously we were sitting staring at Margot. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's only so much sitting and standing to do something. Like one day, I think I sat for a solid eight hours, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's like time's gone. It's yeah. Really I was like, oh, maybe I could bring a book in next day or something. Um, I don't know. Like the room that we got for rooming in didn't have any windows. It, it was literally like a cupboard. And I just didn't know if it was morning or nighttime. And I wasn't sure, like, because I was there on my own as well. I was like, how do I go to the toilet? Like, mm-hmm. okay, how do I leave this child? And one of the nurses eventually came through the next morning. It must have been at 10 in the morning, though. And um, she'd said to me, oh, if you want to get a shower, just wheel them back through to the ward. And I was like, like, I just leave them in the middle of the ward? Like... <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know but I was already up and dressed at this point like I'd like showered with the door open like to try and make sure that nobody was coming in to take my baby away um it was just really strange but no, really, I'd uh, completely forgotten that like until you <laughs> said that now. it's really weird um mm. and I think overnight as well because they were still doing all the checks and they had to take blood overnight as well for this rooming in which was so just dis- like it was awful because they were squeezing his heel and he's really bad He's a bad bleeder, apparently. Mm. Um, so it took like 40 minutes to get this little bit of blood out. Oh. And then I still had to like settle him in there. I kept thinking in my head, this is a test. Like if I fail this test, they're not going to let him come home. Because nobody really <laughs> oh, that's horrible. what the rooming in was. And I was like, I think they're watching me. Like they're, they're checking that I'm an okay mum. And I kept referring to Ian and I as fake parents up until this point. Because in my head, like... She wasn't a parent yet, like I didn't have my baby mm. at home, and I just mm. felt like I was 
by being tested to make sure that I was an okay person. Like that they decided oh. that my body mm. totally failed me. They didn't want me to fail as being a mum. And I mm. think it's totally crazy when I think about it. But it's like it made so much sense at the time. I was just like, it's a test. They're like yeah. watching. There's somebody here. They're checking up on me, and they're making sure that I'm an okay parent. Yeah, completely. And you've been through so much by that point, physically, <laughs> yourself as well, and mentally as well. Yeah. Like, it's no wonder your brain went there. Like, <laughs> no, it's crazy. But yeah. like, I don't, I don't even know. And I just always think like it was eight days, but it just felt like so much longer. And whenever I think back, like, how did all that get crammed into eight days? But then maybe it was nine days, or maybe it was ten days. <laughs> If we go by Frankie's weeks, <laughs> it could have been two weeks, could have been a whole week. <laughs> uh, but, like, How many days in a week? <laughs> I think there are 10 days in a week, that's fine. <laughs> so before we started recording, Kirsten <laughs> was explaining that she went into labour at 33 weeks and six days and had Macca at 30, 34 weeks and so Frankie was like oh so you've been uh you were in labour for four days <laughs> longest labour <laughs> 10 days in a week <laughs> oh dear um, yeah so it just felt like an awful long time so I can't I can't even imagine like like spending as much time as you guys spent in the unit and I always like I think I refer in my story as well like being a fraud like people always say, oh, it was only eight days. And I was like, have you spent eight days <laughs> in an unit? Like, it's, it's not, you know, it's really not about the length of time. It's about no. what happened during that time and your experience yeah. of it. Because like you could have eight days there and it go fairly well and it feel okay. You're communicated with really well. Yeah. It feels like a safe environment and that's completely different. But it sounds like you weren't communicating. <laughs> yeah, so we did kind of sit us down and say like like that our scores were on the brink like I think like the reflections um appointment that you have later like the consultant had said basically it was he was right at the brink of not coming out which mm. I don't think that helped me in any way um, no. when he said that to me but so with him being started of oxygen they said that CP um could be an issue in future okay. uh, so which is something that I'm I like I'm really quite paranoid with like I'm like constantly checking and measuring his head because his head is bigger than normal so we've had to go through our, our like MRIs and things um, so he has um, spina bifida occulta which hopefully won't impact him at all mm-hmm. but his head does keep growing so he does have excess fluid on his brain okay. turns out that he'd had a bleed um, in the neonatal but it wasn't picked up so they found that when they did the ultrasound but it's healed like it's not hopefully it's not nothing to worry about but nobody explained it it was just a case of oh he's had the subdural hematoma and I was just like well <laughs> sorry what like what what has he had like mm-hmm. um, and then um he's got an arch to his spine as well and he's got the excess fluid but it's not at the level with it's hydrocephalus but okay. it's still like I was just like I don't I don't understand all your terminology but no. nothing to worry about I said, but, but explain it yeah, yeah. Just, like te- like tell me what the implications could be so mm. I can 
process that in my head don't just say it's nothing to worry about like it's something yeah. that I can yeah, ed- educate me <laughs> tell me that. and tell me what I'm looking for yeah. so I can advocate for him the best uh-huh. I can as well like, I think like so we went through eight health visitors I wasn't like I don't know they just like eat them up and turn them out but mm. I don't know if it was just we were just I don't know so eight health visitors since he was born and that was by the time he was six months old so there's no continuity and he had his hemangioma like what Arlo had but yeah. his right on his spine and I kept saying to them like I'm a bit worried because of where it is and mm-hmm. like where it's placed and then his um bottom crack <laughs> kind of curved mm-hmm. away off to the side and I was like so conscious of it for ages and he had a wee dip at the bottom of the spine and I said to quite a few of the health visitors I'm concerned about this like this is something that I'm a bit worried about and it wasn't until he was six months that one of the health visitors actually said let's just get it checked out like mm-hmm. let's actually refer it get it checked and see see if it is something to worry about and that was when we got our ultrasound and that was when he got his MRI and we've only just had the results from the MRI like a couple of weeks ago just there um, yeah which is just so annoying that it's taken like six months for them to actually even action it I think like I think maybe being 300 miles from home and transferring from the different hospitals so we bounced three different hospitals mm. I lost my notes <laughs> so when I went for my first reflections they didn't have my notes and the consultant sat down with me and said that it maybe isn't as bad as I think and then I was just like okay well I don't want to have this conversation with you until you have my notes in front of you that's so horrendous went away and he got my notes and the next time I went it kind of was like wow like I genuinely thought the last time we met that you were maybe just a first time mum and struggling with it but actually you've had quite a traumatic birth and I was like Oh, do I? I mean, but, but even <laughs> if you were just a first time uh-huh. mum and struggling, yeah. like, that's not how you handle it. Valid. <laughs> yeah. okay. um, but that's something that also really annoys me. See, even if, if it hadn't been a dramatic birth, I mm. just don't feel that people tell you enough about birth. Like, mm. I had no idea what to expect. I went in so naive, like, so, so, so naive. And I'm also terrified to tell other mums started expecting my story mm. but I genuinely feel that actually I think I would have benefited from hearing these types of stories yeah. before I had a baby to know what mm. to expect because the first time I'd really heard about a premature baby was when I was speaking to Harry about Ethan mm-hmm. and like had processed what that meant and like how difficult that must have been and my only other experience was my mum losing a baby to presenter mm. adoption, which has totally plagued my mind and made my pregnancy not an enjoyable experience. So, yeah, this is a bit wild. Yeah, it is. And that's why I think your page is so important because it is like sharing stories and hopefully not just NICU mums are actually following the page and do kind of get educated on really, really important topics. Mm. Yeah, completely. And like you said, it's just... It, how often I don't think I've, I've really spoke to many mums who it's just been straightforward no. uh, this is how I wanted it and this is how it happened I don't think I know anyone no, no definitely. and even like remember those baby clubs like that used mm. to exist that you used to, be able to go to so I was quite wary of going to them so it took me so long to pluck up the courage 
to actually eventually go through them. But I did, I've got like a really nice little group of girls that we talked to and like actually speaking to each individual one of them, like not one of them had like this smooth birth experience no. and nobody told me. Like <laughs> I genuinely went in so naive thinking, hypnobirthing, baby's just going to pop out. Mm. <laughs> no, no, no. I think the trouble is even if you are exposed to it you don't really take it on board do you because you sort of block no. it out you're like oh that mm. won't that won't happen to me that's I think as well I just kept putting it off like yeah. I knew that my mum had had a really difficult pregnancy I knew that she'd lost um our, like my baby sister and I like it did plague me so every single thing that went wrong I was like oh no is there something wrong with the baby yeah. but also I hadn't thought about the end of being pregnant I hadn't thought how I'm gonna have this like I just genuinely didn't believe that I was gonna have a baby at the end of it I no. yeah I felt the same they don't <laughs> tell you about that bit though, <laughs> no because there's so much around the pregnancy mm-hmm. and you have the app that tracks the pregnancy what's happening mm-hmm. at that point then you kind of have a bit of chat about the but to be honest, I didn't have any chat about the birth at all yeah, um, until the, I, and I didn't know what up. happened after. Yeah, yeah. completely. Um, so Margot it's mostly about being pregnant. So that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I still think that would be really traumatic. And then you've got your six-week check. Honestly, think the six-week check is the most ridiculous thing ever yeah. in the world. Um, mm. And there's nowhere. So I'm pretty sure like my multiple health visitors kept putting down that they had concerns about like my mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I then got subsequently diagnosed with hypothyroidism and as soon as I had that diagnosis they were like oh that explains the moods and things I was like no hold on a wee second <laughs> like I don't think that does explain it no, and I've it been was through quite a lot of trauma yeah. Yeah. yeah so I had to chase the CBT therapy and I had to do like a self-referral for it and I then had to justify why I felt like I needed it and I was like well my consultant said uh, he thought it was PTSD and I needed CBT therapy but he couldn't refer him to it so and they were like oh I don't think that's how it works. I think I'd gone to the doctors because I had good bad hair loss like <laughs> postpartum hair loss is real, struggle is real <laughs> um, and they were just like oh it's just part of like having a baby and I was just like surely like this isn't like how you're meant to feel and I said I'm really tired like I'm actually at the point of being the same kind of tired I was after I had my blood loss and I ended up with a blood transfusion like that's how I feel right now Mm. and I was like oh I mean no I think it's just that you've just had a baby I was like okay well can you please like do some blood tests and check so I had to push for the blood tests um and that's when like so we discovered I had the hypothyroidism but also that I was extremely anemic and I, was just, I just wish you would just listen to me um but I'm still waiting for my endocrinology appointments because of the whole COVID to actually discover what that means nobody's explained anything to me <laughs> I don't know well, still this seems to be a running theme for you doesn't it <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure maybe it's just I don't know maybe it's my health board but I think like I've been very unlucky I also feel like nobody's even asked me like about like sleep and like how we're processing things and I don't sleep so we'll wait and see what the CBD therapy 
Kind of so you, you haven't had that yet? You haven't had the CBT no, therapy yet? you're doing it on the 28th of October, which is my birthday. <laughs> I kind oh of like, maybe I don't want to do it on that day, but I feel like if I say that, they'll just be like, mm, well, it'll take another year. So I'll, oh. yeah, I'll do it. It might be healing, maybe. I don't know. I don't even know yeah. what they're going to do. I mean, with the first session, they'll just get you to... It, like explain the things Word and just it. yeah basically that's what they'll just get you to do they'll just it's just an assessment to and start just with not stop speaking you'll come out feeling quite drained probably like you do now <laughs> yeah. spoke too much i said too many things yeah not at all <laughs> well what what i'm just wondering is you've been through you know so much and i know that you kind of have said you feel like a bit of a fraud but i you know i think you have been through so much and there will be people listening to this that I I just I was aware that I just kept going wow wow like you (laughs) like with everything that you've been through and it just sounded like one after the other so firstly I think you're massively massively incredible for having gone through that and to still be standing (laughs) yeah amazing you've done absolutely incredibly um but also for just talking through all of that with us. I'm not sure if like I don't, don't even know if I put it into like any kind of sense but no, you did. You did. So thank you. Thank you so like, much for doing that. <laughs> yeah. That actually happened. But yeah. see that's yeah. the thing, like I had no I still don't really think that what I went through wasn't normal because mm. nobody speaks about it. So then when Completely. I actually do say to people they're like, Hold on what? like yeah what happened to you? and you did this um yeah. so I do like sometimes think oh maybe I've not been doing that much but then I'm like oh no I don't know you have you have <laughs> I'm sure that's normal so I think yeah. like my whole journey with prematurity and the NICU is more centered around the start of it like the yeah. kind of birth and traumatic birth yeah like, it was hard it was really really hard but marker did so so well and yeah like I, I really feel like actually Nick you worked quite well for me because it gave me time to like process and mm-hmm. nobody bothered me I was able to just sit and like for hours and hours just staring at my baby watching one mm-hmm. and Ian Sterling was talking <laughs> nothing in the background yeah. and it did give me a wee bit of like clarity before a barrage of people but then as soon as I got home I was like oh like, mm. I need to be a mum like I heard mm. I do this I don't know no. um, <laughs> but I mean Macker is spot on as a baby I couldn't have asked for more like he's really he's a very good baby <laughs> he is beautiful as well <laughs> I want to watch with my mm. good baby um, yeah. he sleeps like he's going to bed at eight o'clock like I'm literally the person that you want to hit like when they say their baby's a good baby, I am that person. Like, so if we were thinking back, so if you're thinking about what advice you would give for other mums who had been through like a traumatic birth in the same way, well, maybe not the same way that you had, but a traumatic birth, what what advice would you give them? Oh, I never should ask question. I think I get asked this. Like, I was asked it earlier today by like the charity that we're doing the cycle for, and yeah. I, I just I don't know. Like, I think ask questions like it's something I didn't do I didn't ask I didn't actually ask why we're doing things or why this is happening or why we're doing this procedure and not this procedure Mm -hmm. but at the same time they 
do you know to do that? I don't no. know. Um, so, I, and also, I, I think, like, unless, I don't know, I rubbish. I think as well, see, when I was pregnant, I wasn't reading stuff. Like, <laughs> I was trying so hard to avoid reading yeah. things mm-hmm. because I didn't want to kind of burden myself with all the stress because I was already really worried. Um, and I'm the type of person that as soon as I read something, I'm like, oh my God, I've got this and mm-hmm. this is going to happen soon. Um, so I just think educate yourself but don't worry too much I don't know yeah no I know you guys have any advice (laughs) (laughs) it's a fine balance isn't it I I was the same I would avoid stuff but then I would come across something and I'd be enthralled by Uh it and just like not be able to stop reading and then I'd be like Greg I've got this disease that is one in four million and you take me to hospital right now Right now, like need to go right now. I've got it now. It's happening now. I've read this article, but now I know that it's happening. I was fine before I read it. Yeah, I think as well. That is, I don't know. I would maybe actually say don't read too much. Like educate yourself, but don't read too much. Because what I do now is I constantly every night when I don't sleep, um, I go through all the journals and I go on the Tommy's website and I like about potential abruptions and like why it happens and the first thing they always ask you or they ask me quite a few times is do I take drugs I genuinely don't take drugs mm. so like I don't think that should be the first question that they ask no. <laughs> like I don't know um but I do I read far too much and I think it kind of like boils over in my brain mm. so. yeah. I had some therapy when I was pregnant and I was like, they were like, are you able to stop reading stuff? And I was like, I am, but I'm not. And they were like, okay, uh-huh. limit yourself. Give you a, give yourself a limit. So like, limit mm. yourself to only reading the NHS website. So at least you know the information you're getting yeah, is like, concise and clear and correct and accurate. Sometimes and they don't have the information you need on there. Well, then you can't um, read it. That's the thing. If it's not <laughs> on there, you don't need to know it. Yeah. Um, so I think, I don't know. That, yeah. I have no advice. I rubbish at advice. Not rubbish. No, at read but don't read. Read but don't read. It's very Boris advice, that isn't it? <laughs> totally. That's he's my he's who I base my entire ethos. Educate yourself, but don't read don't too much. <laughs> yeah, basically, I don't know because as well, like my whole I had no idea it was happening until it happened and I think so many people will be in that situation like I don't know about you two but like there is no prior warning so I feel that you can't educate yourself until it's happening to you Um, and even when I was in hospital I don't even it doesn't feel like it's only a year ago but in my head I didn't see Instagram as this type of platform for connecting with people mm. I just use my Instagram to scroll and yeah. take pictures of things um, and I use my Pinterest to like get things for my house and stuff but now I use both of them for things that take me off on like complete tangents and avenues down like little paths and I don't feel like I surface for a long long time mm. um, but I do think that like a year ago I didn't know that social media could actually help yeah completely I'm exactly the same I think a huge reason why I feel okay about what happened is because of 
having talked about it so much mm-hmm. on social yeah. media like I, th- I don't like I don't use social media that much. I think I do I'm on it quite a lot I feel mm. like I'm not a present parent sometimes but mm-hmm. I think like I use social media and I access stuff on social media that I can't talk to like my brothers or my sisters or my mom or my dad about yeah and I think sometimes when I do say things to them they're kind of just like yeah but it happened a year ago like Mm-hmm. you know and he's fine now and I'm like yeah. <laughs> like yeah but no like yeah that's not it's yeah, not that's like, how it works no it's not how it works and there's um, this whole community of people agreeing with you uh-huh right um, so it sort of exactly. makes you think oh, okay it it's okay to still be feeling mm-hmm. like this yeah it is and I think and you know if you haven't been able to process it properly you like they, they say that the main thing about birth trauma is the main thing that kind of makes you feel traumatized from it is the fact that you aren't communicated with properly mm-hmm. so and you have said that exactly all the way through multiple yeah. times yeah exactly so for you it wasn't maybe just that one event that was traumatizing it was probably lots and lots of yeah, series of things completely completely and it was just that you weren't communicated with um throughout that whole period so it's like you need to go back and communicate yeah. you know in that yeah, kind of way yeah. so but if i ever decide in future that i ever want another child i'm mm. on that red pathway so <laughs> i don't know what this means but they keep telling me this i know there's so much that i think from our experiences we could tell people to do differently even the bit that you were talking about about going into um the neonatal unit and not being told about kangaroo care and um, I wasn't I wasn't told about those kind of things about um because I I I think Brian had been told about them but I just wasn't told and I was like you should have a leaflet Uh (laughs) that you give to people that just explains to them what it's like so Um, our unit had a folder like a full like ring bound folder at every every cot or every incubator that had pit that had about 50 pages of everything to do with NICU all about kangaroo care the scientific benefits everything and yeah I I, I think I've said to Frankie before like we've spoken about the differences between our unit our unit is like brilliant um so that that should be everywhere right yeah like I'd made a conscious decision before I had Macker to swap units I'm kind of like I wish I'd got transferred to the hospital closer and then I wish I'd spoken to some people in the unit mm. because the people that are in that unit are obviously living close by um, but I didn't speak to anyone like I didn't speak to a single mum and I remember walking into a unit in Inverness and the mums were like so done up like they, they looked like they had their like shit together mm. and I was just like like how are you so on it and I now know they weren't like they absolutely weren't they were feeling all the same feelings as me they just mm-hmm. had a chance to probably go home and get a shower which isn't that great because you're having to go home without your baby yeah. but I, it never even occurred to me to even like say hi to them I don't I just feel mm-hmm. so awful I was in a complete bubble one lady next to us did speak to us and she was chatting away to me and it turned out she was from the same village down the road so 300 miles away her baby ended up in the unit next door but again like it's not it wasn't a case of uh, change your numbers and kind of like catch up at some other point in the future I know I don't know I don't even know her name to be fair I think it took me it took me a few weeks to speak to other parents yeah. and you me weren't too. there that long 
because um, no. and I think you didn't get past the point where you get into like your new normal uh, yeah, routine. Yeah, like a routine. Yeah. Uh-huh. Whereas if you're there, when you're there longer, you sort you get into a bit of a routine. And I said, like I think I said on my post the other day, like I felt safe there. So actually, I used to go in there and feel a bit more calm. And mm-hmm. by by the time I got into my routine, and that's when I started speaking to people. So I don't think it's bad or anything that you didn't do that. I don't because I wouldn't have done if I was yeah. there for a short time. I don't think. No, and uh, it took me absolutely ages, and I only, only spent, spoke to one person, and then the person that I knew turned up. So yeah. they were the only people that I that I talked to, but I yeah. actively didn't talk to a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, everyone's different with it. So thank you very much, Kirsten, for coming on and talking to us. It's been really lovely to have you on, and thank you for speaking so openly about everything. It's been been lovely to have you on so thank you thank you for having me thank you for joining us for the episode four of the miracle moon podcast we hope to see you again for the next episode in the meantime you can find us on instagram at miracle moon uk on facebook miracle moon uk or on our website where we've got various blog posts and nikki stories from other families at www.miracle